Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus. Do life together, get in the game and leave a legacy. If this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith, subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it too. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. We are starting our series, Blank Like Jesus. That's going to be the whole year. We're just going to fill in the blank, right? You can fill it in with love, endure, suffer like Jesus. But for the next couple weeks, as Pastor John said, we're going to talk about how do you pray like Jesus? What is it like to pray like him? Uh, Pastor John Tyson up in New York, he, uh, he has this term called prayer anxiety. And I thought it was a really interesting term, and I really resonated with it. He says that a lot of us have something called prayer anxiety, where we know it's important to pray, right? We have a desire to pray, but we get a little scared and anxious about it. Anybody ever felt that? Because I don't really know how to pray. What does it look like to, to pray? Or maybe I'm really still trying to figure out who this God person is, this Jesus person is, just period in general. Nonetheless, actually talk to him. Or does he hear me? Like, I don't mind trying, but like, how do I know he actually hears me? Or I've tried praying. I threw some requests his way and and nothing happened. And we have what's called prayer anxiety. I felt a lot of prayer anxiety this past week. I don't know if you've been watching the news. This week has been crazy chaotic. And I found myself thinking, God, I'm not even sure I know how to pray about all of this. And even as Christians, as the church, we're so like divided, right? Like there's so many opinions and I'm not trying to get political. I'm just trying to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm trying to be a follower of Jesus and figure out, God, how do I respond? And I promise you the message isn't all about what happened at the Capitol, but I see it connected because I'm like, God, what is our response? And you have some people that feel like this was good. It was a revolution. We need change. And you have some people that feel like, no, white supremacy, racism. How can you not see it? And I'm talking about Christians that are polarized. And so how do we respond And I felt prayer anxiety. I was like, God, I don't even know where to start. And God took me to this scripture here. And this is actually one of the the last prayers that Jesus prayed while he was still on the earth. And I thought it was so interesting what he left us with. In John 17, starting at verse 20, Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be what? One. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. It's interesting that the way the world is to believe in Jesus is how unified the church is, that in our oneness they will believe in Jesus. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity 
that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And as I I reflected on all the events that took place, I don't even think it's about us having like different opinions. That's actually a strength. We sharpen each other. But we're not loving the same. And I think that's where the the challenge is, is if we're going to pray like Jesus, if we're going to live like Jesus, if we're going to love like Jesus, there should be a oneness, there should be a unity in how we love each other. But I've seen so much hateful speech, people losing relationship, friends, families divided. And there's something about calling out truth and and pursuing justice. Jesus did all those things. And how he did those things was in love. And it's so fascinating to me that the very last prayer he prayed was that we would be united. And so what I found is, well, God, if you prayed, I have to pray. (laughs) I can't be paralyzed in this season. I can't be paralyzed in this moment. And so I have to learn, God, how do I respond? How do I pray? the way that you did. And so another prayer I ended up looking at was one of the most intense, I would say, prayers that Jesus prayed recorded in the Bible. And it's the prayer he prayed before he went to the cross. In Matthew 26, 36 through 46, it says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed. Have you ever felt that before? My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, you see that exclamation point? This won't no quiet prayer. He's like, scream, my father, If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your what? Your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed. My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Jesus knows what he's about to face. He knows the suffering that he's about to endure. He knows the pain. He knows he's about to be brutally beaten and mocked and spit upon. This is not going to be an easy path that he's about to take. And it made me wonder, it drew this question up in me, how do you get to that point when you know the suffering you're about to face and you still say yes. When you know that, God, if I pray like you, if I pray your will, if I live like you, it's going to cost me. 
I may lose some friends over this thing. I may lose a relationship. My life may pan out differently than I had planned to. How do you get to that point where you still say yes? Where I know I'm going to have to have that difficult conversation with my family about reconciliation, about what God values. And I may become the odd one out. How do you still say yes? And what I see is this, and y'all, I literally, you know how pastors and preachers have like three points and stuff? I literally have one point. To pray like Jesus is to pray God's will. Another way to say it is to pray like Jesus is to say, I want what you want. Can we say that together? I want what you want. One more time. I want what you want. St. Augustine says this, whether we realize it or not, prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with ours. God thirsts that we may thirst for him. Philip Yancey says, most of my struggles, and I have found this to be so true for me. I don't know if y'all found this, but I found this to be true for me, y'all. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why God doesn't act the way we want God to. Can I get an amen? And why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where these two themes converge. Here's the thing, y'all. We are not good at giving up our will. I know I'm terrible at it. I'm learning, y'all. And it goes all the way back to the first garden in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, where God created everything good and perfect and whole. The Hebrew word there when it says, uh, and it was good, it's really tov. And tov means it was complete, right? Nothing lacking. It wasn't contaminated. His creation was, was, was totally and completely what he designed it to be, functioning as he designed it to function. And he gave one instruction. Adam and Eve had one job, y'all. One job. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. It's always that one thing, isn't it? That one thing that we're not allowed to have, that God puts borders around, and yet there's a whole garden to feast in. And there's all of this goodness in Jesus, but it's the one thing that's so attractive. And then the serpent ends up slithering his way in and says, or here we see the serpent, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And this is just like the enemy to do this. Then he says, what? You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. 
So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was there the whole time watching this thing go down, (laughs) who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. It's interesting that she was looking for wisdom and instead she found shame. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And what I have found often in my life is there's so many times where it's not that I want God, I just want the fruit. Another way to say that is I I want the resource and not the source. And my prayer life has been so shaped after that, that I want the car, I want the house, I want the relationship, I want the promotion, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. But I don't want God himself. We tend to pray to God for more things instead of praying to God for more of God. And why do we do that? I would say it's a lack of trust. I would look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and see that it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his what? Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. It's interesting, another word for heart, when you look uh, in the original language, is actually will. Trust in the Lord with all of your will. All of our energy should be put into tethering ourselves to Jesus, and prayer is that tether. It says, lean not on your own understanding. If we were honest, at times we feel we understand better than God. I know I've prayed like that. We feel we understand better than God in the same way, and I probably will get some amens from from parents, in the same way a child thinks they understand better than their parent. How, I got an amen. How often does that happen, right? But dad, but mom. And it's like, I've been on this planet for how long? And you just got here, and you think you know more than me. And we laugh, but how often do we do that with Jesus? The creator, the one who has always existed. And yet we pray to him as if we already know what answer he should give. And so then we get mad when we hear no. And we feel some type of way when he says things like wait. Because clearly, God, this is how we're supposed to go. Like a child. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And I'm finding this to be more and more true, like the older I get. And my ways are far behind, beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Can we just say that? God, your ways are higher than my ways. God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Do you pray to God like an equal, or do you pray with the understanding that you are his child? And I've asked God to forgive me of this so many times. I'm like, God, I'm so sorry for approaching you like you're an equal, as if I'm God enough to know what's in your mind and what's best for me. Instead, let me come to you like your child, trusting that you're smarter, that you're stronger, that you're more sovereign. 
This is important because oftentimes we struggle to trust God in our prayer life, not because of a lack of faith in what he can do. I think sometimes that's the case, Um, but really because either we don't know him or we forget who he is. We forget who this God is that we're actually praying to. If we're going to pray like Jesus and say, I want what you want, then we have to know who it is we are praying to. And it is so interesting to me that when his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, we, um, we don't know how to pray. Can you teach us real quick? And the first thing he teaches them in the prayer is this in Matthew 6, 9. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. He doesn't start with, oh, make sure you ask for this, that, and the other. He starts out with who God is. He says, pray like this. Our Father. This is how our prayer life matures, y'all. When we move from solely giving God a list of requests to building a relationship with our Father. We may have a hard time relating to God in this way, though. When you hear that God is your Father, um, some of us, our fathers were probably terrible (laughs) or maybe absent. And when you hear Well, God is my father. You almost cringe a little bit. It's like, I don't know how to relate in that way because I didn't have a good father. Or maybe some of us are just wrestling with God's nature in general. Maybe God has felt distant. Maybe God or the God you kind of heard about growing up seems harsh to you. Seems cruel. And it's hard for you to connect because it's like, that's where that prayer anxiety comes in. If I had to be honest, God, I really don't, I really don't know you. And I haven't experienced anything like who you say you are. And this is what is so powerful about Jesus saying, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Because if we're going to pray like Jesus and say, I want what you want, then we have to know that God is not just our father. He's a holy father. And that word holy means set apart. means you have everything over here and you got the holy thing, right? To be set apart, it's not contaminated. It's pure, perfect. And when we see that God is a holy father, That means he's not like the father I experienced or anyone else I've experienced. His love is perfect for me. His love is good. His intentions are good for me. He will never abandon me. He will never forsake me. And so when I pray to my father God, I'm praying to a holy God. And all of his ways and all of his thoughts are perfect. That means his will is perfect. So even when it's hard and when it's difficult, and even if I'm facing suffering, and even if he's calling me to the painful path, I know that the outcome will be good. I can trust him because he's a holy father. And Jesus understood that. He understood that God's will was perfect. It wasn't tainted. It wasn't off. It was perfect. And it would only lead to a good outcome. And this is where I believe we struggle. Many of us are in the garden right now like Adam and Eve was, like Jesus was, and we are all facing the same choice. 
do I trust that God's will is perfect or do I lean on my own understanding? Have you been there? Do I trust that God's will is perfect or do I lean on my own understanding? And your answer to this question, our answer to this question will inevitably shape your prayer life. Either I'm going to trust that he's perfect in all of his ways, or I'm going to try to live life in my own way. So what happens when praying God's will leads you to suffer? What happens when praying like Jesus leads you to praying for your enemy, like he instructs so many times in his word? What happens when praying like Jesus leads you to bless those that persecute you and that mock you, that think differently than you? to lay down your life, to forgive that person that hurts you so badly? What happens when praying like Jesus causes you to answer the call that you've been running from, but you know God is calling you to be and to do this, and you're like, but I'm scared. I feel inadequate. I feel unqualified. What happens when praying like Jesus, you end up hearing a no. You end up hearing a wait. And then there's times in my life where I'm like, well, do I even want to pray prayers like that? I mean, God, like, I'm comfortable. <laughs> I'm good where I'm at. I'm comfortable. Yeah. Why would I push further into surrender? There's two truths I want us to walk away with that hopefully will help us to say yes, even when it's hard. There's Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This is uh, the message version. I like the message version because it's like real straightforward and kind of common day language. It says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and, look, and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. The first truth, and I wish I could sugarcoat it or make it pretty, but the truth is praying like Jesus will always lead you to the cross. Always. It will not always lead you to what you want. If what you want is outside of his will, it will never do that. It will not always lead you to what's comfortable, but it will always lead you to the cross. But the thing is, if Jesus was equal to God and he still chose to go to the cross, why do we think we can skip the cross? If Jesus was equal to God and yet he humbled himself in obedience to taking up the cross so that we could live, he didn't even have to do it. He was straight. He was God. He could have been chilling in eternity. But because of his love for us, he said, I will take up the burden that they cannot carry. And I will pay the price that they cannot pay so that they could live. If Jesus did that, 
why do we expect that we could skip that process of taking up the cross? Praying like Jesus will always lead you to the cross. But can I tell you why it's worth it? The second truth I want us to walk away with is Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he has all authority. Everything and everyone must answer to Jesus. And what that lets me know is that Jesus has the final say in my story. And so the second truth I want us to walk away with is praying like Jesus makes God your only ruler. And what I have found is that if Jesus is not the ruler of your life, I promise you something or someone else is. And it's just, can anyone testify to that? If Jesus is not the ruler of your life, I promise you something or someone else is. I don't want to be, and I do not want to be ruled by anything or anyone else. I don't want to be ruled by self-doubt. I don't want to be ruled by insecurity. I don't want to be ruled by anxiety. I don't want to be ruled by lust. I don't want to be ruled by pride. I don't want to be ruled by jealousy. I don't want to be ruled by laziness. I don't want to be ruled by apathy. I don't want to be ruled by greed. I don't want to be ruled by hatred. I don't want to be ruled by unforgiveness. I don't want to be ruled by bitterness. So many of us were up can't sleep at night, self-medicating. We drink ourselves to death, sex ourselves to death. We don't realize that we're mastered by these things. It's ruling us. Fear is ruling us. We become a slave to these things. And what I have decided in my life is that I will not be mastered by anything or anybody but Jesus. But who else would you want to be your ruler but Jesus? Who is your peace? Who is your joy? Who offers life and life more abundantly? Life to the fullest. And that's what I love about him is he doesn't just offer me things. He offers me himself. And everything he claims to be, I have found to be true. And it's everything that my soul is longing for. I'm looking for peace. I just want to, have you felt that? I just want peace. I want to know that I'm loved. I want to know that I belong somewhere. I want to know that I'm accepted. And what I found in his word and in relationship is Jesus is all of those things. So if I want anybody to be my ruler, it's going to be Jesus. You can pray, I want what you want. When you realize your soul is longing for everything that Jesus is. This is how we say yes, even when it doesn't feel good. When we have to crucify our flesh, our tainted desires, when we have to choose his way. We remember Jesus' struggle in the garden. Before he was taken away and and brutally beaten and crucified for our sins, we remember that he chose to surrender, that he chose yes for our sake, that it was his obedience and his yes that brought us life, 
a life that we could not earn ourselves. I say yes to his will because he said yes to God's will. And if he had not said yes, I would not have life. I would not have hope. This would be, and that's like a scary thought, that this would be the best it gets. Have you ever thought about that? Like without Jesus, this life would be the best that it gets. But in Jesus, I have hope that this is not the end of the story. And it's not the end of my story. This is why I can say, God, even when it hurts, even when I don't have all the details, even when I don't fully understand, you've already modeled it for me that it is so worth saying yes. So I want what you want. Can we say that? I want what you want. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus for the first, second, or third time today, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next steps in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at lifehouseonline.com or in person for a live worship service at 8.30 a.m. or 10.15 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit lifehousenn.com for more information or to reserve your live worship service spot today.